0: My sin he forgives Every trial is won through the blood So I rest my case at the cross For now I have someone To champion my cause I've been justified
1: satisfied.
0: Oh, I have it all. So I rest my case at the cross. I've been justified, satisfied. Oh, I have it all. So I rest my case at
1: Rest my case at the cross. Well, I'll tell you, that's the best place to leave it, amen, at the cross. Well, uh, I uh, shared a few things with the singles this morning, and they thought I might want to share them with you. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we'll give those to you today. Let's see. I uh, read about a couple, and they were, well, rather up in years. And uh, they were both having problems remembering things. And um, during a checkup, the doctor told them that You know, they were physically all right, but they might want to start writing some things down to help themselves to remember stuff. And uh, later that night, while they were watching TV, the older man, he gets up from his chair and he says, Want anything while I'm in the kitchen? And she says, Well, yeah, get me a bowl of ice cream. Sure, I'll take care of that. Well, don't you think you should write it down so you can remember it, she said. No, I can remember it. Well, I'd like some strawberries on top, too. Maybe you should write it down so you don't forget it. I can remember that. You want a bowl of ice cream with strawberries. Got it. Well, I'd like some whipped cream on top. I'm certain you'll forget that if you don't write it down. He's getting pretty irritated. He's pretty upset about now, and he says, I don't need to write it down. I can remember it. Ice cream with strawberries and whipped cream. I got it. For goodness sake. Then he toddles on into the kitchen, and about 20 minutes later, the old fella returns from the kitchen, and he hands his wife a plate of bacon and eggs. (laughs) She stares at the plate a moment and says, where's my toast? Yeah, you thought that was the punchline until you heard that, didn't you? That's good, huh? Morris, he's 82 years old, He's an 82-year-old fella, and he Went to the doctor to get a physical, and that's always a good thing to do. And a few days later, the doctor saw Morris walking down the street with a gorgeous young woman on his arm. She was beautiful. Well, a couple of days later, the doctor spoke to Morris, and he said, Hey, you're really doing great, aren't you? He said, Well, just doing what you said, Doc. Got a hot mama, and and," he said, Get a hot mama and be cheerful. The doctor said, I didn't say that. I said, you got a heart murmur. Be careful. <laughs> okay. So, anyway, I hope Morris is doing all right. But anyway, <clears throat> let's take our Bible, turn over to the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Yeah, That's a good one. I like that one. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to begin reading verse 1, we'll read through verse 10 and again we're in our series still, uh, add to your faith and we've been dealing with the framework is added and we're adding to this framework, this foundation and we're following after what uh, the Apostle Peter under inspiration of the Holy Spirit shares with us, Simon Peter the Bible tells us in chapter 1 verse 1, a servant that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lack of these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. <clears throat> now the apostle Peter had looked around him, and he saw that many of the believers who had started out right in their Christian lives were being sidetracked by the immoral culture they found themselves in. They also found that there were false teachers that had begun to convince them that they were free to live any way they chose or any way they desired. Their professions of faith had had been overshadowed by their immorality and their worldliness. And the prospect of persecution wasn't so much a threat as was the pressures of moral decline in their midst. And so these people had begun well. They had started off well. But Peter wanted to ensure that they finished well. He was determined to assist these saints, to equip these saints, to enable these saints to neither be barren nor unfruitful and to never fall. To Peter, the Christian life was largely a matter of addition. And he shares a simple example of spiritual arithmetic with us in this passage. And he basically says, add... Just add. And he sets before us a sevenfold progression in the growth of a Christian or a believer's life. And he starts off, obviously, as we noted, by saying, you need to add to your faith virtue. And that virtue that we talked about is the pursuit of Christ-likeness or moral excellence. He goes on to say, to that you must add virtue, to your virtue you need to add knowledge. And we noted that that knowledge has to do with the person of Jesus Christ, that we have to understand his person, his work, and his ways. And we said that we could never hope to be like him if we don't know anything about him. But then he goes on to say, and to knowledge, you need to add temperance. And we said the temperance was basically self-control, control that was provided us through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that that self-control or temperance would breed orderliness in our lives, which is basically just simply uh, an aspect of the nature of God, that it was essential that we add temperance to our faith or we'd be ruled by our passions, our lusts, and our desires instead of the Spirit of God. And now he continues with this process of addition. And he says... In 2 Peter 1, again, and beside this giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience. Peter knew that in addition to their resolve to pursue Christ's likeness, in addition to the fact that they needed a knowledge of Christ in order to accomplish that, he realized that in addition addition to that self-control that would keep those internal desires from ruling and reigning in their life, they needed some patience. They needed that ability to overcome those external forces in their life. This morning I want to focus or speak on these three aspects of patience. I want to take the time to try to define it and then maybe describe it And then focus on, if we have an opportunity, how can we develop it somewhat? How's it developed? This aspect of patience. And patience is one of those things that people often talk about and say, well, you know, we don't want to, don't pray for patience. God will put you in a position where you're going to have to get it. Well, you know what? You don't have to pray for it. If if you're a child of God today, it ought to be something you want to add to the arsenal of qualities and characteristics that you possess. Because the truth is is that you and I cannot be fully or completely mature in Christ until we develop this aspect of patience. And again, it's something that we probably will war with and fight with and deal with the rest of our lives. But it's something we must strive strive for. It's part of this addition process that Peter the Apostle shares with us that will enable us ultimately to neither be barren nor unfruitful and to never fall. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. May you bless us and encourage us and instruct us today. Father, if we are believers, may we leave here, Father, better equipped to become everything you want us to be, to be more Christ-like in a world that rejects you. Father, but on the other hand, if we are lost and do not know for sure, heaven's our home and have never received the Lord Jesus into our life as Savior, Father, may that be settled today in a heart, in a life. And I leave here not knowing what the future holds, what eternity holds for them. Lord, bless us now in this time. Be glorified in it. Holy Spirit of God, walk these aisles. Convict our hearts and move us. And, Father, drive home these truths in our hearts. And may we, Father, ever be better for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we consider the definition of patience. And we, we said the word, the word Peter uses for patience here is a compound word which basically reads or means to remain under, to remain under. The word refers to basically a a courageous or kind of a a consistent endurance in the face of suffering or evil. Um, Through endurance or through patience, we're talking about being constant, consistent with external pressures. It doesn't necessarily mean that we kind of, we just simply control our temper. Um, it doesn't mean that we just, um, we grit our teeth and bear it. Patience isn't just, you know, waiting out the storm. That, that's not what it is. It's, it's not just kind of like tying a knot in the end of our rope and hanging for dear life, on for dear life. That's not what patience is. It's, there's, there's a little more to it. Patience or endurance is the ability to remain faithful to God under pressure because your heart looks continually to Him in faith and because you seek Him in faith knowing that He has the strength and the ability to help you and meet your need and that ultimately He'll reward you for your faithfulness. I mean, that's what patience is really all about. It it enables us to remain faithful to God. And while we're facing a circumstance, a situation, we know that he's both there and we know that he is to be trusted. See, there are a number of things that can tempt you and I to depart or to flee from God, to get away from God. And, and we, we think about some of those often. We think about physical pain or affliction. We think about disease or poverty Possibly pressure from family or friends or maybe even just pressure of our culture and our society in which we live. There's so many things that will cause us to maybe be tempted to move away from God, to depart from God. But these outward pressures, although they can tempt us, we can't respond the way the world does. We can't allow ourselves to respond the way uh, maybe our flesh would. I mean, we can be tempted to respond in anger or anxiety. We can be tempted to feel despair both within and even without. We can be tempted even to choose to sin in the midst of all of it. We'd maybe make bad decisions and bad choices. We're not being patient in the face of these temptations. A person with patience or endurance would never do anything to dishonor God, no matter how strong those external forces were. Because in this case, they're, they're remaining faithful to God while enduring the circumstance or situation, knowing that He is there for them and that He can be trusted. Patience. Patience. Enduring. But then we see a description of it. He gives us that in James. Look, if you will, in James chapter 5. We see a tremendous example or description of patience. James chapter 5. Notice in verse 7. In this particular passage, the word patience, I believe, is used five times. Just in this short period of time. And we can learn a number of things. Very much, We can learn much about patience from it. Notice what it says in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. Ye have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy." Again, in this passage, we learn a lot about patience. In verses 7 through 8, right off the bat, he admonishes us as saints to be patient under the coming of the Lord. To be patient. Now, we have to understand that the context of the passage in the book of James are to the tribes that are scattered abroad. They're going through great persecution. They're enduring tremendous affliction. And yet, in the midst of all of that, he tells them to be patient under the coming of the Lord. Now, how in the world are they supposed to be patient? Can you imagine you're concerned about someone knocking at your door and ultimately finding out that you're a believer and maybe taking you to prison or possibly killing you or your family? But you're to be patient under the coming of the Lord. What's it mean then? That word patience again, here we go. We're understanding it to dealing as, it, as it's used as dealing with external forces and still remaining faithful and consistent to, to God, to being faithful to God amidst those circumstances. Why? Because again, we believe that He is present and we believe that He cares and we know that He is there for us, even though things aren't going necessarily how we'd like. So we see this appeal to the believer to be patient under the coming of the Lord. And we know that the Lord is going to return. We understand that. But it's possible some have said that the book of James was written before the Jerusalem Council, which would mean that it was actually written maybe just as few years as 12 or 15 years after the uh, ascension of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine just 10, uh, 12, or 15 years after Jesus Christ has left? These these believers are looking to the return of Christ already. Because again, from the time he left, they were to 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 watch and to wait for his return. They were to patiently wait for that return. Enduring the affliction, facing the trials, and doing it in a way that honors Christ. We know that Jesus would return. We see that the rapture will take place one day where the church will be taken out. And then, of course, we have the revelation that takes place seven years later at the end of the tribulation period when he literally returns in chapter 19 of Revelation with the saints that he took out the first time. But he's coming back. He's returning. And in the passage in the book of James, we are admonished to be patient under the coming of the Lord. That means everything that takes place in your life from this point on to the return of Christ is to be dressed and dealt with in patience, in hopefulness, facing those tribulations, those trials, those circumstances and situations with an attitude of hope, knowing that Christ is with you, that Christ is able. James uses a few examples, of course, in the passage as well to illustrate and to express this aspect of patience, to describe it, if you will. He uses the farmer right off the bat early on, uh, right there in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, of the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. I mean, the bottom line is, is that a farmer sows seed. He then must simply wait for the fruit of his labor. You don't just plant it and see the fruit of the labor the next day. You don't just wake up to a bunch of corn. You don't just wait to a bunch of wheat. You don't do that. You plant it and it takes time. And the truth is, the farmer has no control over the weather. He has no control over the seasons. He literally just has to trust God with all of that mess. He can't go to bed if he frets and worries all the time. He'll just be a wreck. The fact is he must have patience. He must look to God. He must trust the Lord. He must believe that God is still there on the throne. And that God is still able. Patience is the ability to remain faithful to God under pressure because your heart looks continually to Him in faith for strength and for the reward. And that's exactly what the farmer has to do. And James uses him as an example of patience. He also talks about the prophets. And we know that the prophets were sent, and in most cases, they weren't sent with a good message. They were sent with a pretty bad message, really. They were sent because, first of all, the people of Israel had turned their back on God and forsaken the word of God. And so when God sent the prophet to them, basically he was there to proclaim a message of what? Judgment. Let me tell you something. That wasn't always gladly received by the people. And as a matter of fact, they were afflicted. They were tormented because of their faithfulness to God. And yet through it all and in the midst of it all, they were to remain patient and they did remain patient. They endured it with the right attitude and the right spirit. Not just holding on for dear life. Not just gritting their teeth and dealing with it. But with hopefulness, with joy, with peace in their life. Because, see, they were able to focus, because they had that self-control that we talked about earlier. Because they had that temperance that we spoke of. They were able to deal with the inward feelings and those inward, uh, that that self-control. And then as a result of that, they were able to look now to the exterior feelings Pressures And they were able to control those through patience. And then he turns to a final one. He talks about Job. And anybody that's read the Bible or knows anything about the Word of God has probably heard about him. And no, it's not Job. <laughs> although it's spelled the same. We call him Job. And he was a remarkable man, wasn't he? He was beloved Both on earth and in heaven, the Bible tells us. He was upright, he eschewed evil. He's a perfect man, the Bible says. God says. And again, we understand it doesn't mean that he was sinless. It just means that he pleased God with his life. He did those things which honored the Lord. He He obeyed God. But his life was overflowing with blessing. You read about Job and you realize that, man, I mean, he was one of those guys that seemed like everything he touched turned to gold at first. We're told that he had a large and loving family. We're told that he enjoyed good health, that he was a man of reputation. He had it going. And then all of a sudden, one day, Satan goes before God. And during the midst of the conversation, God points Satan to his choice servant, Job. Have you ever considered my servant Job? Boy, i tell you what, Satan said, listen, if I would steal or take away those things that are blessings that you've given to him by your hand, he would turn from you, he would mock you, he would be angry with you, he'd shake his fist in your face, God. He'd want nothing to do with you if he didn't have all those blessings. No wonder he serves you. You treat him so good. And then without notice, this devout, godly man who prayed and fasted consistently for the well-being of his children who served the Lord with all his heart. Without notice, his whole world caved in. In one disastrous day, all of his wealth was swept away. And worse than that, all of his children were killed in one day. And then, of course, we know that his health fell apart. The Bible tells us that he, basically, he he found himself in tremendous pain. His body was disfigured. We, we, We find him, with this incurable disease, scraping these boils off of his body. Just sitting in a pitiful pile of ash. But despite all of it, Job, he bore up under all of it. He dealt with it. Every single blow he faced with patience. I mean, after the loss of his fortune and his family, the Bible tells us in Job chapter 1, verse 20: Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even God's testimony, the Bible tells us, in all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Isn't that wonderful? Man, that is is patience. And then when Job was afflicted with that disease, when his wife basically turned on him, and then even encouraged him to kill himself, might as well just end it all. It's not even worth it, Job. Here's what he says in Job 2.10. Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. There we have an example of the patience of Job. Amazing, isn't it? Oh, we didn't even talk about the fact that his friends came along to encourage him, right? Right? Well, that, that was the last thing they did. They truly had some ill-advised advice and they falsely accused him of being sinful and, and wicked. But even in the midst of all of that, he continued to bear up underneath that weight. He continued to forbear and it was amazing that he could continue to do so. His friends chided him. Made, they, they, they accused him. And yet there he s- sat on that heap of ash, scraping the boils, enduring the affliction, Never once accusing God. Never once having anything but praise for the Lord. Isn't that hard to believe? That's called patience. And that's what God wants to cultivate and develop in each and every one of us. That kind of patience. Where we can endure those external forces. Where we don't allow them to have rule over ourselves. Where we don't let them have reign in our life where they don't determine our spirit and our attitude toward God or toward anyone else. The fact is, is that we recognize the fact that there is a God in heaven that not only loves us, but there He is there for us. His presence, His providence, and His power are sufficient in our life. And because of that, we can patiently endure whatever comes our way. We can do it with the right spirit and attitude. See... You and I look back on Job and we say, well, we know how it worked out. You know, we know and understand that there was this battle taking place in heaven. I mean, we had God on one side. We had Satan on the other. And 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 so, you know, there's purpose in this. There ought to be closure in this. And the fact is is that really in the end, we know it all turns out good. But Job didn't know that. Job had no idea at all. All Job knew was that everything that he'd had in life that he counted Of any value was gone. Everything. I mean, can you imagine that? You lose every bit of your wealth, your notoriety, your popularity, your, your reputation. You, you, lose, you lose your family, every one of them, except for a wife who turns her back on you, basically. Can you imagine that? And then all your friends, they're blaming you for the situation you find yourself in. You don't have any clue why this is happening. You don't understand what God is doing, but you still with patience endure because you know God's still there and he has a purpose and a plan and a purpose and he can be trusted. See, that's the real basis of patience. See, when we're impatient, it's because we really don't believe that there's a God of providence We don't really understand that God is in control, that He may permit things in our life, but it doesn't mean He wishes to use it to destroy us. That's easy, I know, when things are going well to receive, but when things are going horribly in our life, that can be a tough pill to swallow. James, he allows us or gives us the opportunity to see some things that in the book of Job, we're not... Visible, I mean he makes it clear that at the end, notice in chapter uh, uh, notice in, in in this passage again in James chapter five, notice he says at the very end there verse ten, he says, Take my brother in the, let's see verse eleven, excuse me, behold, we count them happy, which endure, ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. see Job didn't see that side at first. He didn't know. He had an incurable disease. He wasn't sure he was even going to live to the next day. But he never once made a railing accusation against God. He never once turned his back on the Lord. He endured patiently. And James shares with us the kind of character that God has and the kind of person God is, that God had, The Lord is pitiful. He's tender and merciful. And ultimately, we know that everything works for good to them that love God, who are called according to His purpose. Again, he says, to the end of the Lord. And and what he's basically saying is that it's going to end right. It's going to end the way God intends it to. It's going to fulfill the purpose uh, that God intended it to fulfill. Now, that's that's hard to understand. But that's what patience is about. I mean, we're driving down the road and somebody cuts us off. Or we're getting stuck in traffic and we got to be somewhere at a certain time. We didn't account for that traffic. And, man, I mean, just something that simple, that external force can cause us to get angry. That can cause us to be frustrated. It can cause us to lash out. We have people that you know express their anger in such ways that they kill people over that. But the believer doesn't look at things the way the world does and they don't respond the way the world does. We, we, we have a, a patience that's rooted in the spirit of God and in the presence of God and we understand that he's in control and that, that that traffic jam isn't there by accident. And there we sit in that traffic knowing that, well, God is present and he has a right. He, 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 I'm sitting here in his providence and you know what? His power will sustain me. He's good, and he's God, and it'll be okay. I can trust him. But we have to have that awareness. The end was very good for Job. We know that ultimately he had more, double what he had had originally. And for you and I today, God has the same in store for you and I. If we'll just be patient, if we'll just be faithful to the end, if we'll allow God to have His will and way and not allow our flesh to control us and to take charge, the story ends good too. It ends in a land of fadeless days. A perfect place called heaven. There awaits us what the Bible says is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we will hear the words of our Lord... Well done. See, that's what we have to look forward to. Someone says, yeah, but I've got this incurable disease and it's going to end in a grave. I don't see that as being something good. If you're a believer today, it's going to end pretty good. Unless you just don't believe what you've been saying you believe all all along. I mean, the bottom line is, is that it's a lot easier to believe all of this when you're not laying on your deathbed. It's a lot easier to believe some things unless you're tested by it. I mean, if you get a phone call and you find out you have cancer and it's stage four, let me tell you something. This better be real in your life. Yeah, right. Amen. This better not just be a social activity that you take, that you just show up on Sundays and you say, well, I'm just going to go to church because that's what's expected of me and those are the things I do. And yeah, I believe in God, I guess. Sure, why not? Let me tell you something. That won't help you after that phone call comes in. You won't have the patience to endure faithfully. You won't be able to look to God and know that you can trust Him because you haven't been able to really trust Him all along. You've been doing it in your own flesh and your own strength all along anyway. How do you develop this patience then? How do we develop it? We we see it demonstrated in the the lives of the prophets and, and we see it demonstrated in the farmer's life. We see it demonstrated in Job's life. How, how do we develop it? Well, it kind of goes back to our, our verses again in 2 Peter. In 2 Peter, again, chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, notice again. And, and, and again, we, we have this process of addition. And sometimes we, we want a quick fix. Sometimes we just want things that, you know, fast food type of thing. But that's not how it works in the Christian life. This is a process. To get to the place where we can endure patiently is something that has to begin somewhere else other than that. You don't just wake up one day and go, you know, from this day forward, I'm going to be totally patient, waiting on God. I'll be able to deal with any external force, and I'll handle it in a christ, Christ-honoring christ fashion. Uh-uh, that's not how it works. Notice what the Bible says here in chapter 5 again, beginning in verse, excuse me, chapter 1. I'm so 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence and to your faith, virtue and a virtue knowledge and a knowledge temperance and a temperance patience now notice again there are a few things that must be developed before we can arrive at patience someone says I have no patience at all I can't deal with pain I'm just not patient I'm not a patient person I've never been a patient person nobody like that in here I'm sure well, help me, let me uh, encourage you by saying no one arrives there by chance. Now, some people are a little less high-strung. I mean, some of us are a little more high-strung. Things kind of affect us a little bit more, seems quicker than others. Some let things roll off their back more than others. I understand that. But remember, this isn't just about gritting our teeth and burying it. It isn't just about, you know, uh, tying, uh, hanging on at the end of the rope. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about just enduring it. We're talking about having patience, patiently enduring. We're talking about recognizing that God is in control and that he is there for us and that that we can trust him. And that not, not only are we going through it, it may even be uncomfortable, but we don't have to be upset inside because the circumstances outside are upset. Well, that doesn't just happen overnight. These are characteristics and qualities that come through the the working of the Holy Ghost in our life. And so we know right off the bat that we have to agree with God, of course, that our purpose on earth is to be Christ-like and to display His excellence. We see that right off the bat, that virtue. We have our faith. Yeah, we've got that. We understand that we're saved. We know that heaven's our home. We recognize there's a a wonderful um, reservation already made for us. But to that faith, we need to build. If we're going to remain, if we're, going to be un, if we're never going to be unfruitful, if we're always, excuse me, if we're always going to be fruitful, if we're, if we're never going to fall, then we've got to add to that. And we said virtue, Christ likeness, that attitude of excellence, Christ excellence. And then, of course, we said that we need to know what that looks like. I mean, not only what did Christ, not just what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? I mean, what's it really look like, this Christ-likeness? See, if I'm doing what Christ did, then I will be like Christ. And so you, we begin to take it from that standpoint. And we realize that the standard is clear as we cultivate and as we accumulate this knowledge of Christ, as we learn His person and His as we, we understand His, His, His ways and His work. And then we said that, according to our passage again, that we have to add something else to that knowledge now. And we, we said you have to add temperance or self-control. Again, we can't just arrive at patience. It all begins somewhere. It begins with our faith in Christ, having the indwelling presence of God in our life. And then, of course, it goes to that point where we, we realize and recognize that our whole world needs to revolve around being like Jesus Christ. That it's not enough to just want to be a good employee. It's not enough to just want to be a great boss or to own a lot of buildings or to be a good husband or wife. No, that's not the goal of the believer's life. The believer's goal in his life or her life is to be like Jesus Christ, right, amen. to express his excellencies, to help people see him in this world through us as the Holy Spirit manifests Himself in our life. And so we add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge because we can't possibly know what it means to be Christ-like unless we read about Him, see Him expressed in in examples given in the Word of God. And then we add to that knowledge this temperance or this self-control. And that self-control rules our passions instead of our passions ruling us. And we can say no to ourselves now. And We say, I will not allow the lust of my flesh. I won't allow myself to be ruler. I put Christ on the throne and I say no. And I die to self daily. And every time I'm tempted to, to indulge in life, to indulge in activity that is not prosperous in, in my relationship with Christ, I say no to it. I die to it. And now we've set the stage for patience. Because see... Now that we have control on the inside, we can now control the outside. And that's where patience comes. So see, if you have yet to learn how to die to yourself inwardly, if you can't say no to yourself, if you can't get a hold of yourself and really, you know, control your thoughts and control your life and your your, your thoughts, so to speak, if you can't control those desires and urges inwardly, there's no way in the world we're going to be able to control things that happen to us externally. They're going to affect us very negatively. We we often turn to 2 Corinthians chapter ten verses three through five. It says, "You know the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ." Amen. You can't you, you can't possibly. When you have a a negative circumstance in your exterior or outside, if you haven't learned to handle that on the inside, it's only going to cause you to get bitter, angry, experience anxiety, depression, despair. You've got to be able to handle it here before you handle this out here. The prophets had control, self-control. They had temperance in their life because their whole life was about pleasing God. And so they said, I must control this. I can't allow my passions to rule me. And when they were faced with those circumstances externally, when people said, we're going to kill you for your faith, if you won't stop preaching this judgment, we're going to do you in, they said, "That's all right, I'm, I'm comfortable with all of this. I, I don't like what's going on out here. It's, I feel it, it may be hurtful at times, painful at times, but I can find peace in my heart in the midst of it all. I can patiently endure this because I am confident that God is with me, that God cares about me, and that He won't leave me or forsake me. So we begin to develop this. Matter of fact, James again, chapter 1, verse 3 says that the trying of our faith worketh patience. The only way that you and I can truly develop Patience is through trials. It's going to take some practice. And you know, that's not real comfortable, is it? Practice isn't comfortable. I know in football practice, it was never comfortable. It was always difficult, it was always troublesome. But you want to know something? It always produced something positive in the end. And that's what trials do in our lives. Young people in your lives, you're pretty young. And and things are going to happen to you. But let me tell you, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, they're not nearly as severe or as outrageous as maybe older people. When you you hear things about older people going through things, you think, wow, they got that bad news. Or wow, they they, uh, had this happen or that happen. Or boy, one of their children did this or did that. And they're trying to deal with that and face that. And You're not going to experience some of those things yet. But you will experience some things. And when you do, you need to begin to learn how to deal with them. Christ-like, the way Christ would. You need to start where you're at. And you you can't allow the externals to rule your life either, just like you can't let that internal rule your life. You have to let Christ rule your life. You have to have some self-control, and then you need to have some patient enduring. We're dealing, we're developing something. It takes time. So, when we know God to be... A certain kind of person, a person who will keep his word, a person who has a plan and is working that plan. When when we're convinced of the presence and the providence and the power of God in our lives, it doesn't matter what the obstacle is that we're facing. At that point, we're capable of patiently enduring. And we're going to remain steadfast, and we're going to remain faithful under the pressure because we know God's faithful to keep his promises. Let me give you just a real quick test of some character or patience. Bob Jones Sr. reminded his students often in chapel that they needed to endure. And one of his more popular sayings that was posted on a placard over the chalkboard said, the test of your character is what it takes to stop you. Well, I want to consider that one for just a moment. And I want us to ask ourselves a couple questions. Real quickly, do I stop being kind when another person offends me in some way? Or there's something about that person that does not appeal to me? See that external force, remember? Are we going to deal with it patiently? Understand? Hold on, let's keep going. Do I stop being obedient just because I don't agree with the policy? Or because it inconveniences me, it, 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 it inconveniences me. Wow, that word is long. <laughs> Fifteen letters long. Do I stop exercising self-control because I'm discouraged at the moment and want to do something that will make me feel better, or because my friends are indulging sinfully in something and I don't want to be left out or thought of as a cr- coward? Maybe Do I stop seeking God in my Bible and praying daily just because my schedule gets full of something or doesn't doesn't go the way I want it to go and I'm upset with God? Do I stop maintaining pure thoughts and actions when I'm given the opportunity to feed my lust undetected through the Internet, maybe through movies or television, or when I'm alone with a member of the opposite sex who's not my spouse? Do I stop being honest when shading the truth Excuse me. Uh, Do I stop being honest when shading the truth? Shading it might just keep me from being held responsible for a wrongdoing or possibly enable me to be praised even though I didn't earn it. Do I stop sacrificing for people when they don't seem to appreciate it or when no one seems to notice? Do I stop thinking or taking hope in the promises of God and become discouraged when I don't see circumstances working out the way I want them to or as fast as I want them to? Do I stop being a diligent worker when no one's present to hold me accountable for my work or when the work situation isn't what I expected? I mean, think about those things. We talk about character. We talk about enduring. We talk about patience. How do those things affect you and I? See, the believer who's cultivated and developed patience will be undaunted by any outward forces. We'll continue to rest confidently in the arms of Christ and be consistent in exhibiting Christ's likeness in your life. Patience. It's just one of those virtues that has to be added again to our Christian character. It's built upon the others. We have every opportunity in this world to be anything but patient. I mean, we live in a fast food society, don't we? I mean, everything. We, we should expect it now. Not yesterday. Not an hour from now, but now. And that's, patience isn't a theme that the world truly pushes or promotes. Let's face it. These young people today can be promised popularity. They're promised ease, fun, if they'll pursue a life of worldliness. They're given those promises. You can have it now. You can have it now if you want it. You know, we're promised easy credit. You just get a credit card. You can have whatever you want. You can have it now. Just get it now. There's 250 channels let me just keep clicking. You'll find it. You can have it now. But you know that that's not the case. You've been through all 250 like I probably have at some point. There's never anything on when you want it on. Amen. On our phones, we have unlimited minutes. We can go get all you want to eat. Let's just be honest. There's no fault divorce. There's free wireless. There's confidential abortion. And you can have it now, and nobody has to know it's okay. You can just move on with life. We have safe sex even today. You can have it now, it doesn't require any patience. But the child of God's life is grounded in virtue, knowledge, temperance. And upon those, we build a life of patience. A life that says, you know, I can trust the God that saved me to handle and to deal with these external forces. He hasn't forsaken me yet, and He never will. He is capable of directing my path and enabling it to turn out good, just like He did Job. I don't have to know the outcome because I already know where I end up. I can endure this. I can patiently endure this. And I can do it with the right spirit and attitude because I know that God, I know His person. I know He keeps promises. I know He's all-powerful. And I know He loves me and has my best interest at heart. Patience. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance. And to temperance, patience. God help us to do that today. We're quick to be impatient, aren't we? God help us to exercise some patience in our marriages, with our children, at work, with the pastor, with the Sunday school teacher, with church members. Let's exercise some patience. Maybe today you're lost without Jesus Christ. I mean today if the Lord Jesus did return as we mentioned in the message you'd be left behind. Do you know what that would mean for you? That'd mean that you'd spend the next seven years during what's called the tribulation period where God is pouring His wrath out upon the earth as well as His own people really. You're going to be caught up in a mess that you never dreamed of. And then the reality is is this, more than likely you've heard the gospel presented very clearly. At some point you probably even felt the need to be saved, but you chose not to. And because of that, you will never have an opportunity to be saved again. You will die in your sin, and you will go to hell. And that's where you will spend your eternity, in a Christless hell without Jesus. That is no place to spend eternity. That is no way to spend your future. But the God in heaven came 2,000 years ago. God himself who created all things became a man. He literally took his place on that cross to pay for your sin and take your place. He became your substitute that day. And he said, if you allow me, I'll die for you. So he took his place on that cross and how you allow that sacrifice to become yours is by saying Lord I accept what you did as payment for my sin and I allow you right now to be my savior I want you in my life because I cannot have my I cannot deal with this sin any other way but you cuz a sinner is what I am inward outward and in every aspect of my life I know there's nothing good about me I need you to forgive me and cleanse me and make me anew and afresh you know he'll wash your sin away he'll make you part of his family You'll become his son, his daughter, and he'll give you a home in heaven. Do you realize that? Not because you deserve it, but because he's that good. Just for asking, he'll do that. But you have to mean it. You have to sincerely allow God to have rulership in your life, to sit on the throne of your life. Lord, you're my Savior. You're my Lord. I understand that it takes time to develop these characteristics and qualities, but it begins with a foundation stepping upon Jesus Christ and allowing Him to uphold you. He's your Savior and Lord. Let Him be your Lord today. Let Him be your Savior. Father, we come to you. We ask that you just meet our need today, that you'd bless us and help us. Lord, we're nothing without you. Be with your people now. Encourage us, Father.